Hello and welcome to the Food Safety Dish, a production brought to you by the Local Food Safety Collaborative. I'm your host, Katherine Kavanaugh. The Local Food Safety Collaborative is a cooperative initiative established between the National Farmers Union Foundation and the FDA with the goal of providing training, education, and technical assistance to local food producers to ensure good food safety practices and compliance with the Food Safety Modernization Act. National Farmers Union is a grassroots farmer-driven organization that believes strong family agriculture is the basis for thriving communities. NFU's membership includes over 200,000 family farmers and ranchers across America. Farmers Union's grassroots structure promotes locally initiated policy priorities and educational topics established by their members. Learn more about National Farmers Union at www.nfu.org. Today, we will be talking about storytelling and specifically sharing your own farm story and how that could be used to amplify your business. Of course, we will be dishing on the best methods to articulate your good food safety practices as well. I'm joined today by three farmers from Wisconsin Farmers Union, Chris Marion, Danielle Envick, and LaDonna Green. Chris Marion is a first-generation farmer living in the fourth iteration of her rural business. From CSA to farm dinners to B&B to glamping, Chris's biggest strength as a business owner has always been the farm story, and good pictures of it too. By day, she works in marketing and communications for Wisconsin Women and Conservation and hosts guests at night on her managed grazing sheep farm in the Driftless region. Danielle Endvik raises beef cattle and a pair of rambunctious boys on her family's Runamuck Ranch in northwestern Wisconsin. She has spent her career lifting up the stories of rural Wisconsin, first as an award-winning journalist and for the last eight years as the communications director for Wisconsin Farmers Union, empowering members to share their stories. Danielle is an avid hiker, a graphic design geek, and an alumna of National Farmers Union's Beginning Farmer Institute. LaDonna Green is the founder of Growing Green Gardens Network, Inc., a nonprofit organization in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She is a conservation coach for Wisconsin Women in Conservation. Her mission is to decrease food inequities and insecurities plaguing many communities. In her teaching gardens, youth and adults receive hands-on learning experiences to help build their self-confidence and as they learn to plant, grow, and harvest culturally relevant, healthy fruits, vegetables, and herbs, they do so in an environmentally conscious way. Ladies, welcome to the Food Safety Dish. <laughs> Thanks. Yay. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to be here. Thanks so yes. much. It's so much fun to have three people on the show. <laughs> so, um, well, let's just dive right into storytelling. Why is storytelling important and how can it be used to amplify your own business? Well, I can start with that. Um, I think storytelling helps bring a more emotional connection to it it's different when you see say advertising for a business you know on paper or whatever but it's kind of like you're able to see and feel more of a connection you know that storytelling helps with for me my storytelling conveys my vision it conveys my mission it conveys what it is that I'm trying to accomplish in my community and sometimes it can tug on the hearts of those, you know, so that even people who have not shared in the experiences, say for food inequities or who have a plethora of grocery stores that they can choose from in their community, I think that they can, through storytelling, begin to imagine and understand why Growing Green Gardens exists because those things don't necessarily exist for us in this community as it may for someone else. And for anyone who hasn't experienced that, poverty or individuals who maybe are landowners and they could just go right outside and grow their own healthy foods, they don't have to rely upon what's ever provided for them. For me, storytelling helps convey the message that not everyone has those same opportunities. Yeah, 100%. I think that's so powerful and important, LaDonna. And, you know, for me, I grew up on a dairy farm 
And I kind of came from a side that was really immersed in agriculture. And coming out of that, I guess I've really seen how important it is because I've been lucky to grow up on a farm and really see where food comes from, uh, just how important it is to tell our stories. You know, I remember one one day when I was a kid, uh, we had a, a little cousin that was over and my dad convinced our little cousin that our brown Swiss cow gave chocolate milk and that's where chocolate milk came from. <laughs> and I think, you know, a lot of us in the, in the farming realm maybe have a similar story of folks coming out to the farm and just not really connecting where that food is coming from. Um, so I think there's a lot of, of power, whether we're growing food, you know, out in rural places or, you know, in, in LaDonna's neck of the woods with her good project, uh, there's a lot of power for us to help reconnect people to food and, and the healing power of it too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think that reconnection is so important and the only way we can bring people into our world in agriculture is by storytelling. Um, I came from Chicago to the, to very rural Southwest Wisconsin because I was sick and I was looking for a healing. And what I experienced here was a complete turnaround of rheumatoid arthritis. And I'm such a huge believer in the value of not just healthy food, but also healthy spaces. And what I have sold on my farm, um, since I opened my doors for business after I got well, <laughs> is really that the healthy opportunities that agriculture, but also um, healthy places can provide. I think that people are hungry for not just good food, but also good stories. They want to be a part of a bigger picture <laughs> and they want to be a part of healing America and healing the culture. So I think we're, we're mm. blessed to be able to bring them into our stories, whether they're urban or um, suburban or rural. I, I agree, Chris. I, um, especially during the pandemic, I think is when it really became recognized the importance of having access to foods. That is something that I never thought of as being necessarily a problem in America. Although mm. I knew that because of maybe financial constraints, um, people could not access it. But I just learned during that time period that many of the individuals through the children I was working with literally just didn't have access to any food. They didn't know about where food comes from either um, mm. because they're used to just what they see in the grocery store. So it's very humbling and I'm very happy to help people learn that it doesn't begin and end with the grocery stores. There's a mm -hmm. whole process, you know, from <laughs> yeah. amending soil to planting seeds to you know, um, caring for those seeds and harvesting and all of the different um, aspects that go into producing foods before it mm -hmm. gets to the grocery store. So um, I, I love the saying farm to table. You know, mm -hmm. I think maybe you all living on a farm have better access to something like that. And that's what I hope to provide here. Yeah, food doesn't just appear wrapped in plastic in a, in a grocery store. I think you're all really touching on something very ancient, actually, you know, thinking about food and storytelling as probably like the oldest parts of human civilization and how storytelling has been such an important tool to pretty much get us where we are. And likewise with agriculture, but, you know, Combining the two can be especially illuminating, I think, in, in this day and age, because people don't always know where things come from or how they get there. You know, the whole method, it takes a lot to, to get things where they end yeah. up. So with that, would you all mind sharing the stories of your own farms and how you've been able to use these stories to help amplify your operations? From my story, in the beginning, I didn't think of it in that way. It was born more out of the necessity to covet 
my things, to be honest with you. Mm. I was least a plot in the community garden. And during the pandemic, there were a lot of children just, if their parents were at work, I don't know where families were, but they were just out and about in the neighborhood. And they would come into the garden, the community garden, which was a large, open, welcoming space. But rather than partake of the foods and things that were growing in the garden, they were actually throwing apples. Someone threw an apple at me Um, (laughs) and trampling over things. And I thought my first mind as a mom, as a prior teacher is, you know, these kids don't have any discipline. I had to figure out a way to help them become a part of it as opposed to fighting against them or Mm. yelling or thinking negatively of them. So I decided to, you know, as they say, if you can't beat them, join them. So rather than try (laughs) to outsmart anyone, I thought, hey, you know, would you like to join me? And so from there, I started asking questions and we developed relationships. I got to know their names and I showed up every day and I showed up every evening. I showed up constantly and I asked them like well what do you eat at home or what do you like to eat or you know and as they would tell me I would make sure that I went and I found either starter plants or seeds of the foods that they mentioned and a lot of them said oh you know they didn't even like vegetables and I thought well you know let's try growing something out of that sprung them coming daily helping Mm. in the gardens, no longer being as destructive, but because now they had something that they could belong to them and that they could value. And they had a sense of ownership and protection. And from there, as we began, as the season progressed, we would harvest the things that were growing. We would take them inside. There was um, Victory Garden Initiative here in Milwaukee, and they have a structure that we could go inside of and clean the foods, prepare the foods, um, taste them. We would make salads. And that's basically how Growing Green Gardens um, came about. It was just out of me trying to protect my interests. (laughs) That's a really special story. I think something that strikes me about your really personal story, LaDonna, is that there's 1% of America is growing food at this point. And the rest of the population doesn't understand growing food, doesn't understand where their food comes from. There are some really educated consumers, but in general, I don't feel like we have a relationship with our land and our farmers that inspires that kind of ownership. And, um, Mm. I started in CSA, which was an attempt to bring people into some kind of connection and some kind of ownership with um, veggies. And, you know, it was a great experience. And when I first started out, so that was over a decade ago, people were really interested in coming out to the farm and to the festivals and bringing their kids. And as CSA got more popular and more known, it got to be a lot more of people showing up in parking lots. You know, I would meet people in parking lots and splitting boxes. And of course I was trying to scale up too. And there was this sense of which I was getting separated from the reason I started doing it in the first place. And I think it was a sad loss of a sort of a fledgling connection. And I think you're being able to bring kids and start them early with an understanding that they can um, have an influence over growing things and touching the soil is so powerful. And really just, we just need it so bad. <laughs> we're, we're desperate to understand each other. Um, and I think mm-hmm. You know, agriculture, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what what goes on in ag. Um, 
some of us who are trying to do more conservation-oriented or values-based agriculture, we're it's on us every day to educate because we're trying to upsell a product that can be bought cheaper somewhere else. Um, but I think that all of agriculture ha has learned through the pandemic that we have to educate consumers because they have to understand it's not our fault if the supply chain is broken and terrible and, and you know, mm -hmm. basically predatory mm -hmm. um, and hurts both farmers and mm -hmm. consumers. So I think that there's, uh, there's just so much value to mm -hmm. telling these really personal stories. Mm -hmm. And making the connections, as you said, you know, one of my goals, um, part of my project this summer is to make the rural and urban connections with growers also because um, a lot of the community here it has been deemed food deserts, um, meaning that there's not enough access as the USDA deems it to, you know, um, grocery stores to get the food. But I think it goes, like you said, far beyond just being able to access it. We should be teaching others and bringing up a generation in agriculture and conservation who are learning how to care for the land, mm -hmm. how to care for the soil, how to care for the, the animals. So much of our natural history has been depleted due to mm -hmm. construction, you know, from the trees, the biodiversity changes beca because the environment changes. There's concrete everywhere. And I think that it would be wonderful to have food just growing along the streets, that there should be apple trees and plum trees on every street. And you should be, a person should be able to just walk past anything and just partake from that mm -hmm. and it's as simple as literally almost as just planting yeah, seeds it, it really is Truly. and I think what's interesting about that is you know even in our rural places where we think of rural as farming we're experiencing these food deserts too and I think there's a lot of you know these, mm -hmm. these similar paths that we run into um, that can be solved if we can help get the stories out of why this work that we're all doing is so important and the work of growing good food. My path into storytelling was kind of a wandering one. I grew up on this little dairy farm, 32 dairy cows. So very small for that time. And, you know, naming the cows, wandering through the feed alleys while dad was milking cows and feeding calves, doing things like that. But at the time of my childhood here in Wisconsin, you know, 20 years ago, uh, we were and still are really experiencing this loss in some of our rural places, especially here in Wisconsin. We're losing a dairy farm a day and a lot of that vibrancy from, from our rural places mm -hmm. too. Um, so for me, I, I really planned on farming and wanted to get into farming and kind of pivoted away from that. My dad said, oh, I don't really know that there's a future in that. Um, so I shifted gears a little bit, went to college and ended up working in ag journalism and that's where I really saw, you know, a lot of really yeah. exciting stories uh, like you have, LaDonna, and, you know, exciting stuff like Chris touched on, too, the CSA movement and the good things that were happening in our rural places. Um, but I also saw a lot of hurt in a lot of places where we need to be telling stories and really trying to, to solve some of the just strange things that are happening in our food system and how our food is kind of making us sick in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. um, so, so my path yes. kind of led to this scrappy little group as I was working in ag journalism, I found my way to farmers union. I wandered into a few meetings and I was really just fascinated by the way that they were building this vision for what could be for our rural and urban spaces and the food movement, um, on this base of shared values. So that was really cool. And um, through that ended up coming into the communication side here with Wisconsin Farmers Union. And we're really working on that, like trying to empower farmers who are busy and doing lots of things uh, to tell our stories because it is so critically important. 
Thanks for sharing, Danielle. Very interesting arc of story you've had. Segway? I don't know. I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Ongoing. (laughs) What about you, Chris? What's your What's your story? (laughs) Well, I kind of touch on it a little bit, but I, um, yes, I kind of got drawn to the countryside via books and a body that was really sick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when I was in my 30s, I came down with rheumatoid arthritis really acutely. Like I went from zero to 60 um, with symptoms. And I was in bed for about a year and reading a lot of books, um, living in Chicago and loving it. I love the city. But while my body was in so much pain, I started reading Wendell Berry and dreaming about green spaces. I had grown up pretty rural in a township in in, uh, Pennsylvania. And I started to just remember those green fields and climbing in trees and being surrounded by green. And I thought that if I could be in a green space, I would feel better. Mm. And I didn't really hope to get cured. I, I was, I was kind of resigned. You know, I, I did everything I could. I went to all the doctors, did all the things, got on some good drugs, but I didn't, I, I I didn't really think I could get healed. So when I moved out here, I have four kids and my husband, and we bought 20 acres in the driftless area of Wisconsin, which is very beautiful on our way to look for homes or properties. We were driving out of Chicago through Southwest Wisconsin. And when we got to the Driftless area, which if you know what that is, it's very hilly. It's where the glacier, glaciers never scraped it flat, Hmm. like so much of the Midwest. It's very raw and romantic land, I think. And I I teared up like we, we went over this hill and all of a sudden I could see these quilted croplands in front of me hmm. and there were valleys that were misty because there was water down in there and I knew that this was going to be the place where I would feel good and within two years I was off all my medication wow I started a CSA I started growing for other farms and then um, moved into sort of this hospitality farming which is what I consider CSA to be where you're you're sharing the, the whole ethic and the whole opportunity to be um, surrounded by growing things in addition to the food. And that was amazing <laughs> and transformative. And I fell in love with my land, but also my frogs. I have, because I'm in a, <laughs> I'm on a wetland, I have a lot of frogs and I just sort of tuned in to, I think, the vibration of the land. And I've become a really fierce advocate for getting people on land, wherever they're at and out where the frogs can sing at them Mm. (laughs) and all the microbes in the dirt can (laughs) change their, change their, uh, change their mood. And so I started with CSA, which is very intense, um, like succession planting, kind of like you would do in urban gardening. You're always, uh-huh. always putting something in the ground and always taking something out of it. And that was great when I was younger. And then it got very hard <laughs> on my body. And we're on we're on 20 acres, but I only ever farmed four acres really intensively. We also have animals, sheep and cows and steers that we, um, steers and hogs that we use managed grazing. And uh, I moved into farm to table dinners because it was a little bit easier And I could grow food, but also have people out here. And as my kids left, which were a lot of my crew, I transitioned into bed and breakfast. Hmm. And that has been amazing. That's really been a powerfully comfortable niche for me. Um, And I really get to stretch out and talk about agriculture and policy and why voting matters. (laughs) (laughs) And not just voting with your dollar, but literally voting Mm -hmm. and getting (laughs) policies changed. And so that's kind of been my arc from, you know, being on my hands and knees and weeding for 12 hours a day to spending a lot more time in front of a computer trying to persuade people to 
do conservation and vote for conservation programs. So that's, that is my story. And I'm blessed to be a living example of how growing green things uh-huh. can, can heal you from the food mm. to the, to just the doing it, you know? Wow. That's awesome. I love the way that you talk about the landscape. I could picture it so vividly, especially when you're like the quilted tapestry of the land. It's so misty and romantic. You've convinced me. I already care a lot, but (laughs) I feel like it definitely, you have some good storytelling and we can see that right up front. I would like to just add that for me also, you know, realizing and always having that childhood dream of living on a farm. Like you, Chris, I've shared with you, I'm from Chicago as well. The hustle and bustle of the big city, the the trains and everything. For some reason in my childhood, Little House on the Prairie, <laughs> that mm-hmm. was one of my favorite shows. And then later um, in my high school years, I went to a boarding school in Nauvoo, Illinois, which was um, in farm farmland all around. And I loved it. I had only experienced the farm when growing up when a carnival or something came to town. And there was always something in me that longed for that. I think it was the peace and serenity and the quiet um, outside of the city that I loved out there, not realizing how good that is for your mind, body, soul, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and for healing. And that's one thing that I think I notice when the kids come to work in the garden, I have a niece who at the time was three years old last summer. We, I brought her to the garden with me in the morning and we worked and I was working and she was playing and working. And I, before I knew it, I looked up and we had both been, we had been there for over five hours. Wow. She never asked for anything to drink. (laughs) (laughs) She never said she was hungry. She just really enjoyed herself. And I saw and realized that being out in nature alone, um, I even read somewhere that there are chemicals in the soil Mm-hmm. that is good, you know, for your your body. Of course, we know we get vitamin D from being outside in the sun, and that's healthy in and of itself, especially when we live in the Midwest here where we have like almost seven months, six, seven months of just cold where we're always trying to rush and get indoors. So because they, there are many traumas that people face, youth have faced in urban areas, I've also found that teaching them, you know, and them learning how to grow, spending time, you know, they ask many questions. And in being in the gardens actually not only helps influence their diet, it also has a huge impact on their mental state mm-hmm. of mind as well. And so it's so many wins. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and so when we talk about storytelling, you know, certain things, you know, I, I try to convey that message, but it's so many things that come to mind that it's used for, for, for healing, not only the physical, but your people's um, mental state of mind mm-hmm. as well. Recently, I, you know, I was in the grocery store and I saw they had vegetable cleaner, and I've seen this for a few years now, and I just never could understand what is this chemical <laughs> that I am using, you know, that I don't use, but that people use to spray on the vegetables and fruits that they purchase, especially knowing unless you buy everything organically, it was grown in chemicals. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so a lot of the huge um big box farming farms and the, you know, industry, even if you're eating an apple, is that apple healthy? Mm-hmm. Even when you eat 
lettuce? How was it grown? What was the medium used to produce those things? Um, even when you're drinking milk, what hormones may have the animals or the meat or the things that we eat that are that affect us and we learn about <clears throat> years down the line mm-hmm. that, oh, you know, <clears throat> there's commercials all over the place. So growing, you know, farming, um, conservation, being intentional about how we grow our foods is very important or, or is even more important than just growing your own foods. Definitely. Thanks so much for sharing all of your stories. It's so wonderful to hear kind of like the lamp, the tapestry of stories, even within a room or a group, you know, there's so much experience. How do you all think that growers can best share their stories? Do you think that there is a specific medium that is better for this than others or, you know, some mixed media out there? How would you encourage other people to get their stories out there? Oh, it's definitely TikTok all day long. <laughs> My biggest fear in life. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, real. Yeah. I did I I just had an interview yesterday where someone was like, You are on TikTok now for Wisconsin Farmers Union, right? And um I have not crossed that bridge yet. I will say the Runamuck Ranch are our herd of cows. They are TikTok famous. But I myself am not doing TikTok dances anytime soon. I don't know about you guys. Cows can, though. Well, I think that, it, I mean, I said that for a joke, but I, um, I think the medium is the one that you love. You know, yes. I think the way to get into it is by communicating in the way that you feel comfortable. And clearly, some people are super comfortable on TikTok. It's their thing and they're fun to watch because they enjoy it. I started marketing my farm um, through a blog on a website. And I never, um, you know, I I have a journalism degree. I was going to be a a TV reporter. (laughs) And that's what I went to school for and ended up doing a lot of freelancing um, before I came to the farm. But in the end, my communication ability to write and my joy in writing is what sold the farm. That's how I was able to sell the meat, telling stories about the animals, telling stories about my kids' interactions with animals. And then um, when I did CSA, I, I had a whole newsletter and would put recipes in there. And that was fun and gave me a lot of joy. Um, and then I discovered Facebook and Instagram. And now I feel like I get way more joy from taking photos of cute things and my adorable grandbaby, grandbabies. And um, just the, you know, I do have this appreciation for the healing ability of just the views we have when we're surrounded by green, like we've, we've all described that. And so for me, my happy place is telling the stories through photos. And that has changed over time. And I have felt pressure to do this platform or that platform. And, you know, we all know these rock stars who are just killing it in one place or another. But I think the place to tell your story is the place where you have fun telling Mm, your story. mm -hmm. Because there are people on every platform. (laughs) There's there's, there's people out there. The medium is the message. Uh I think that's one of my biggest struggles um, is marketing feeling I'm more old school in the sense that I'm used to verbally conveying things. And I realize that's, that isn't how the world works. So, um, things may operate slower for me because of that reason. I do believe that different mediums, such as having a website or like I go into childcare centers, you know, I try to, um, market towards schools. I'm, you know, in community centers, there's, um, a community, community center here in Milwaukee, um, Alice's garden. I meet wonderful people at the different urban community gardens. And so that's basically my form of advertising. 
I'm not, I've, I've been told what I should do in more areas. And I think I'm building up to that. So I think I believe what Chris mentioned being, it has to be at your own level of comfort, your own pace. I'm not as interested in spending so much time in that area. I wish I didn't have to, but I realized in order to get the word out about growing green gardens, in order to get more youth and families involved and to reach the broader community, that yes, I must do other things as well. I'm working on it. So, <laughs> Well, you're already on TikTok. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my Wait a minute. That's so funny. LaDonna, you can just get one of the youth that work at the garden probably to take charge probably of the TikTok. absolutely correct. I'm sure they would love yeah. to do that. They would already yes. know how to do it all and everything. So yes. in source, right? Well, I think that people... Yeah too we we don't think we don't always think of ourselves as being you know being communicators but you're in the garden LaDonna you're actually out there doing it that's like where the communicating and the marketing is happening is direct to those kids and those families but yes LaDonna and I work together on Wisconsin Women in Conservation <laughs> yes. she's, she's on my TikTok for Did not <laughs> I need the address <laughs> the link See, I don't even know. Is it an address? Is it a link? <laughs> I love it. I can just... work on that. And, <laughs> and, you know, it's okay to get help. That's the other thing is like, you know, kids are a great resource for all, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to do something like TikTok and, or I have people have kids take pictures of them because women in particular don't want to take pictures of themselves right. in the garden. Right. But their kids are always, my grandson loves it when I give him my phone mm-hmm. and then he can go to town. <laughs> Absolutely. My sons are 10 and 11 and they are 100% like wonderful at snapping good photos of us around the farm. Oh, um, I've dabbled in a little bit of all of the social media, but I completely agree here. I mean, I think you really just have to, come at it with a little bit of grace and, and let go of any perfection because we don't need to be on all of the platforms mm-hmm. if we don't want to be, but have some fun out there. I'm definitely going to set my kiddos loose on TikTok here pretty soon. Another another couple of years, they're going to just be in charge. Let them have fun. Mm-hmm. But um, the other thing too is I think one thing that we as farmers sometimes forget is to like pause and think about who our, our client actually is. Like who are we trying to market to? I, for a long time, was hitting it really hard on social media, but then realized um, a lot of the folks that actually were really interested in what we were doing uh, and started coming out to the farm and buying were like, actually, uh, most of my friends aren't on social media, Mm. you know, kind of that generational line where a lot of them are retired, a lot of them uh, maybe are at the income where they can afford to pay a little bit more of a premium that we're trying to charge for grass-fed beef. Um, which I guess I didn't say in my story, but we have a happy ending to the story is that we have managed to come back into the family farm, purchase it and are doing uh, a new chapter here, raising grass fed beef. Mm. Um, But it took me a while to realize like they aren't out there where I'm trying to be. So take a minute too, and just kind of recalibrate sometimes too, and see what's working and what isn't. Uh, For us, we realized we needed more like print brochures and things like that. Yeah, that's really, that's really wise. I mean, I printed brochures when I first started. um, And especially for the bed and breakfast when we first opened, but I haven't printed a brochure in eight years because I reach all of my people on Instagram um, and then on Airbnb and HipCamp and on actual platforms. So there's all different ways to market. And um, I do think we... It's just got to be fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's got to exactly. people can tell, you know, when, when you're talking to kids, LaDonna, it's pretty clear that you're having fun. Just, just <laughs> hearing you talk about kids, you are having a blast. And that's, that's the marketing right there. Mm-hmm. Thank you. A little bit of mixed media, you know, maybe, yes, you know, not to rely just on social media or all just on print, but you know, we can adapt and have many kinds of messages spread in different ways. So 
I guess with that, how do you all think that we can incorporate some good farm practices like good food safety management into storytelling and articulate it to customers in an engaging way? And how effective do you think storytelling is in the adoption of these better practices versus other methods of teaching? Well, as a former teacher, educator, I've always realized that if you can convey points in ways that resonate with people that they can relate to has always been the best way to educate people um, through conversation, um, maybe even print or asking questions even. Oh, how do you do this? Or did you know that maybe in those different type of ways is how I get points across. I do activities with the children. So they never truly see what my direct aim is. When I'm doing something, if we're doing an activity, it's to convey a message that I want to get out to them or something I I would hope that they would learn or pick up on, you know, within it um, that comes about. So I kind of go around doing an activity that hits the subject. Mm -hmm. And then I open the conversation for them to talk about it or their a person's experience. Have you ever had a foodborne illness? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had, you know, salmonella poisoning or, (laughs) you know, there's different things that contribute to food safety, you know, good hand washing, like before they harvest, you know, we wear gloves, garden gloves, when we're preparing, before we prepare the foods, we have to wash our hands. So I'm, you know, thankful that at, um, at each place that I garden, there is access to, to water, hand sanitizer. So just trying to keep and, and show through modeling good food handling practices mm-hmm. is probably the best ways I explain as as I'm going, how I explain to them the who, what, when, where's, why, and how of what I'm doing. And I just invite them to partake and to do the same. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether we're farmers who are direct marketing and really working a lot with the consumers, or if, you know, there's a lot of farmers who are still in really conventional modes too, who, Uh, you know, or selling into channels that they don't have as much direct face-to-face contact. Um, I think either way, there's an important component for all of us in helping to educate around food safety. Uh, You know, there's that meme that kind of goes around on uh, farmer social media, and it says something along the lines of, um, you know, what other industry do you work 24-7 to try and feed people who think you're trying to kill them? <laughs> Which, um, you know, take that as you <laughs> take that as you will. It's a little bit of a strong meme. Um, but, I mean, there are uh, a lot of questions around how food is produced. So I think that there's mm-hmm. a really strong role that we all in the agriculture industry can play in helping people understand, um, especially the food safety components, Um you know, which I don't work quite as much with on the raising beef cattle side. But Mm -hmm. I do think that there's a value added proposition to be able to show the folks who are buying from you or just the folks who are following your farm page, um, the care that's going into what's happening. Mm -hmm. Well, I think too, there's all kind of ways of looking at food safety. The, The first time I ever had salmonella was the first time we raised chicks because <laughs> mm. I was in there touching the chicks and, you know, cleaning their little butts off when they <laughs> had like pasty poops and I must not have washed my hands well enough, you know, when I went on to eat my own mm. dinner and that was the first time I had salmonella, but it was memorable right? and <laughs> it helped me learn to talk to my guests, yeah. everybody who comes on my farm to talk to them about just being careful about washing your hands when you touch animals or just being careful with the way you handle things, um, handle food when you're around animals. And I think that getting sick like that made me realize the gravity Mm -hmm. of um, our responsibility when we're working with animals and 
uh, veggies. I used to love taking photos in my wash house when I was cleaning lettuce and things. Nothing is prettier than like bright beets or different colored lettuce or chard underneath the water. Mm. And so, you know, I, I spent a lot of time documenting the way we, um, the way we take care of things here on a tiny hand scale farm versus what has gone into your bag mm -hmm. at the grocery store, you know, and the, the food supply chains that we're dealing with are so long mm -hmm. and so divorced from um, that human touch. And I think that's, that's part of our story that we get to tell is that we're offering an alternative to those long supply chains. I had the great privilege of seeing Temple Grandin speak many years ago. And Temple Grandin is the woman who has designed a lot of the more modern slaughterhouse facilities where the, the humanity of the animals is taken into account so that the animals aren't scared and they're treated well on their way into the harvest. And she was talking about how big isn't necessarily bad, but it's vulnerable. Mm -hmm. The bigger a supply mm -hmm. chain is, the bigger a slaughterhouse it is, the more vulnerabilities there are at each step along the way. And I think um, when we look at what you're doing, LaDonna, you're, you've, you've got kids on their hands and knees in dirt. You want the dirt to be of the best quality. You want their experience right. and their surroundings. And there's something really special about the care that is given to the soil. And then Danielle, you know, you want your kids to be safe and you've got a situation where the animals are well cared for and the people are well cared for. And I think that consumers, when they can afford it, really want to invest in those kind of operations. Yes. Because they know mm -hmm. that there's intention, there's actual safety of the people and the products. And then there's just the care given to having a sustainable management of soil so that we can continue on our on our plots and on our home farms and on whatever land uh -huh. we're managing to keep making food we're we are living and breathing on these places and we want them to be healthy from the soil up and i think there's a lot of safety embedded into the management that we do mm -hmm. in addition to that uh -huh. last couple moments of triple washing your triple washing your your salad mix right there's the cautionary tales yes. there's the <laughs> exemplary <laughs> stories you know and all sorts in between does anyone else have a, a food safety story that has come up either like through you know good or bad that you've imparted on anyone that's come to your farms or worked on your farms well i do i i do want to just acknowledge that i know ladonna you just went through the training um, during COVID through the food safety right. training, which is long and exhaustive. And I've, I've done it mm -hmm. on my place. Um, I think people who are consumers don't realize the amount of care that goes into taking care of things. I mean, I'm pretty comfortable mm -hmm. picking a carrot, sticking it in my armpit and twisting it <laughs> and get, that's how I get the dirt off. And then I eat it, but I would not feed that to a guest, mm -hmm. but I, when you're going to sell something, to someone um you you're watching out for bird poop mm -hmm. you're watching out mm -hmm. for you know any uh animal animals that might have gone through your area right. you're checking the temperature of your water because certain microbes grow faster at certain temperatures and then you're you've got to have some kind of storage that is kept at temp and you have to keep certain things away from others and it's a ton of work from mm -hmm. start to finish. And I think that's a really important part of the agriculture story too, yeah. is it's not just growing stuff. Um, it's a, it's a lot. It's caring for, mm -hmm. for everything at every step of the way. Yeah. And, and people should also know, um, to add to that, that yes, there are, um, rules and regulations. Mm -hmm that go around food handling, you know, as you were speaking about the food handlers, you know, training is, you know, one thing I wasn't aware of because on a farm, I didn't know that if um, a farm animal were to 
poop near where produce on the ground within so many feet of it that that has to be mm-hmm. discarded, you know, um, without question. It cannot be washed off. You know, I come from the era of kiss it up to the sky, God made dirt, dirt, don't hurt. That's right, dirt, don't hurt. <laughs> don't panic. That it's is organic. not the case. No. Right. And But, you know, um, yes. So that was something interesting that I learned. I don't have that being in the, where I'm located, of course. But again, um, the importance of keeping safe, and healthy and everything that goes into making that happen before the foods reach the consumer are very important. And um, I I think especially for smaller farms um, outside of the big box chain ones, I guess what I'm trying to say is when something is smaller, sometimes you could do Mm -hmm. it better. You could give more care. You have um, closer access it's not the hurry up and wait or the rush to get things done. You can be, you know, very mindful and intentional and, and the processes that you use to make sure that you're in compliance and that the foods and um, be it fruit, vegetable or animal, you know, the, the consumer receives it in a safe manner and because it hasn't touched as many hands before it reaches the consumer that has a lot to do with it because by the time we hear sometimes about outbreaks and recalls it could be weeks out yeah Mm -hmm. they have to do a lot of research and things move from state to state fairly quickly and then you know they have to figure out, oh, these many people have been sick. And what did you eat? Oh, I ate chicken. Or oh, where did you get that chicken from? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's a whole lot. Instead of saying, I went to Chris's farm and I bought this and it's it's more direct. Mm-hmm. When you're small, it's more, more direct and more personal. Right. And I think if you can articulate that, like if you have a relationship with your customer base or you have a platform, I feel like people really appreciate hearing that from farmers. I want to ask a question about, you know, sometimes it's it's really nice to share the best, most picturesque parts of our stories, but how do you guys navigate the tension between wanting to promote your farms and like showcase all the good, but do you acknowledge, you know, sometimes it's not always so picture perfect. The honest part of it is not always so pretty. How do you, how do you navigate that? And, or do you share that? I have found a way to make it work, mm-hmm. meaning that when I began, I was focusing on making it perfect so that people would want to come. And then I realized that, well, if I've done everything, what is it for them to do except for watch or, mm. you know, they don't get as much hands on. So what has worked and I think it, you know, it just took me some time to get that point. That part is that I actually leave land untouched. So they get to see and, and participate in the cultivation of the land, growing, learning about the different soil types and um, the care that has to go into um, producing foods from the rooter to the tutor, from the beginning to the end. And for me, I know that's really satisfying. And although with children, they want to see quicker results. So I just make sure that when they're planting things that, you know, um, Chris, you were speaking of succession planting, but that I, I plant, I'm intentionally making sure that we are growing things that they will see sooner, like radishes yes. within 20 days, you know, um, this year growing green gardens is privileged to be part of the seed exchanges program growing greens. And so we're growing five different types of collard greens. So that's something that's culturally relevant for a lot of the students that I have in the community that I engage with, and we're doing Asian long piece. And so when you talk about storytelling, 
I'm a lover of museums. I grew up going to museums all throughout my life and with my children as well. Another way to get that story out there and to help is to, like at the museum, you have the plaques that have the information about the seeds and where they came from. Some are from North Carolina that were brought over from another country, you know, with a family in the late 1700s, you know, so doing things such as that, you know, to bring awareness to everything from food safety to incorporating, you know, um, practices into it and getting people really involved in the process from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, every seed is really a story, isn't it? Has the whole history Mm -hmm. of anything, any, any, wasp that's ever crawled around in a flower and mm. gone from one to another and lots of countries mashed up together and mm-hmm. cultures. It's pretty fun. Seeds are really fun. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm not weeding as many as I used to. <laughs> nice. they are fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and on that note, I uh you know, I think when I first started telling our farm story we were so mindful, you know, we would have occasionally with my job with Farmers Union, we'd have a news crew out to film something on a rural issue. And I think for a long time, we were like, oh, no, don't let them see mud. Um, (laughs) Like classic farmer struggles in the spring, right? But um, I think over time, we've gotten a lot more relaxed about just trying to show people the realities of farming and Mm -hmm. the authenticity. And I think um, there's a lot of raw stuff around farming that is important to help share, like letting folks know, um, you know, the farmer share the food dollars around like 14 cents right now, or, you know, just some of the food supply chain things that have happened throughout the past few years. I think um, there's some, some harder stuff that's really important to touch on if we can. So sometimes we need to break that, that little bubble of perfection. Right, because it doesn't exist, and it's (laughs) not good to pretend like it does. Well, I think for sure with social media now, we're all kind of trapped in a, you know, a curated view of the world, but it's really imperative in agriculture that we don't curate everything Mm. out. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, just the work of conservation, like if you think about if we want farmers to do land stewardship mm-hmm. and we want farmers to provide those environmental services like keeping soil out of water using less inputs and you know keeping microbial communities happy in the soil and holding carbon down there we need to show how much work that all is mm-hmm. <laughs> because people need to pay for it somebody needs to pay for mm-hmm. those uh the environmental services to the planet and we can't do it for free because then we can't keep farming. Right. So I think that there's a really important piece of honesty when it comes to what are the true costs of the things we do. There's a true cost to not um, Mm -hmm. doing conservation farming. And a lot of those costs are externalized onto the neighborhoods um, in the form of contaminated wells and, you know, uh, runoff, but we also need to tell the story of how much effort it is to mm-hmm. do the right thing, um, or to do the better thing, or, you know, to do, to farm along the lines, uh, of what we know now as being best practices. All of those things take effort and equipment mm-hmm. and yeah. we need to talk about that more. Right. You got to work for that final product of the, the nice picture. It doesn't just also appear like a fruit in the grocery store. And that they know it's also a conscious choice that you made. Mm-hmm. It may have not been something necessarily that we had to do according to meet, you know, um, policies or rules or regulation. It's something that we are doing because we desire to do it because we want to help the earth we want to help have viable soils for farming for future generations as well and Mm -hmm. we're not just thinking about ourselves we're thinking about those who will be here years after we are gone 
Yeah, 100%. I know, um, I know for me and probably for Chris too, you know, without Farmers Union, I don't think I would be telling stories in the way that I am today. So uh, one quick shout out to Farmers Union, which mm-hmm. is a partner, yep. partner on this yeah. project. But I think looking back on everything we've talked about today, I think we're all really learning so much of what we love and care about in, in growing food and caring for people through food. Uh, I think we're all learning it's too important for us not to tell our stories. Mm. And one thing that I run into a lot, helping our members kind of shape stories to help you know, advocate on policy issues um, or just work on issues in their community. Uh, Sometimes we run into folks who feel like they don't have a story. So Mm -hmm. I just want to really encourage folks. um, We all have a story. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, even a year or two ago, I wouldn't have had the nerve to hop on a podcast or to, you know, do a lot of the things that I'm doing now telling my story. And I've seen a lot of other folks grow as they tell it. So just know that it gets easier each time you Mm -hmm. tell your story too. Um, But it's important. Keep doing it. Right, right. I guess on that note, do you have any final words of advice, wisdom, encouragement on helping farmers get out and share their stories? What would you say to them? You know, one thing that uh, Chris and I have been running around to different states and all over Wisconsin to doing some rural voices trainings and helping folks really learn how to hone their story. And I think as we're kind of talking about it today, I just encourage folks to think about their why. I think Mm -hmm. if you go back and listen to parts of this podcast, you can really pick up on things that LaDonna and Chris and I are all really passionate about. And I think over time, we've learned to kind of hone our why Mm -hmm. and the things we care about and shape them into a story. So I guess if folks are listening, just ponder what is it that's really driving you? Um, Because there's just things that we need to get out there into the world. What is that for you? And, and if you don't know how to do that, uh, in case I haven't pitched Farmers Union enough on this podcast, I suggest plugging into your state's Farmers Union too, <laughs> because there's a great, great amount of resources and good folks who can help you figure out ways how you can create some good change through storytelling. And if you, your state doesn't have a Farmers Union, you can still join Farmers Union as an at-large member? Well, I think if I could tell anybody listening one thing, it would be that your story around food and agriculture is more interesting than you might think. I think people are hungry for stories about where food comes from. I think they're hungry for stories about um, about hope. What can we do to turn things around for this planet? And mm-hmm. I think the we are not going to fix our climate crisis without farmers. And mm-hmm. so um, of all shapes, sizes, kinds, colors, mm-hmm. foods, cultures, mm-hmm. because we all have different ways of coming at um, taking care of soil and taking care of our communities. So I think every story is important. And people Mm. want to hear it. Mm -hmm. I agree with both Danielle and Chris for what you were sharing. I also believe that in sharing, as I have learned to do, your story by people sharing their stories, farmers, that it also helps maybe bring them closer to a community of practices and people and knowing that you're not alone and by reaching out and possibly joining groups and organizations working within the same, you know, field that they could also learn, you know, um, from others sharing by us all sharing our stories, um, little tidbits. No one knows everything and we all can learn from each other. So storytelling is very important because you may find an adversary or someone who you could even go to for advice or you know, to get help, or you can lend the same, sharing your struggles and your successes through storytelling. Mm, definitely. It's like the glue that binds us is the stories. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And, and I think one thing that we should really hit on too is just um, 
this year is really important because we're ramping up to a farm bill. And Mm -hmm. for all Uh of us, whether we're farmers or eaters, you know, every American, that farm bill touches in some way, whether it's through the nutrition Mm -hmm. title or conservation programs. Um, So there's never been a more important time for us to really come together and share our stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Get your stories out there because the world (laughs) is ready for them, I say. Well, on that note, I would love to thank you all so much for sitting with me today and chatting and sharing your stories, you know, in so many capacities. It's been delightful for me to hear them, and I really hope and think other people are going to enjoy this conversation as well. So thanks so much again. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it was fun. Yay! Fun hanging out with you guys. (laughs) Thank you. Awesome. If you are interested in learning more about NFU and the work that we do, check out our website at www.nfu.org. And thank you to our sponsor. This podcast is supported by the Food and Drug Administration of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as a part of a financial assistance award to U01FD00691-03, totaling a million dollars with 100% funding by FDA HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by FDA HHS or the U.S. government. I'm Kevin Kavanaugh, and this has been the Food Safety Dish. Until next time.